starting a brand new series today uh, called uh, The End Commandments, and I just wanted to talk about Jesus for a minute. Wanted to talk about him because he's just an amazing individual. He really is. You should never get tired of hearing about Jesus. All right. He was a revolutionist. I mean, Jesus came on the scene and he revolutionized the entire way that people related to God. Now, that's a big deal. Man, it's one thing to change a style shirt or bring in a new shoe line, but I tell you, it's another thing to turn the world upside down and have people worship God in a totally different way, and he did, you know, because in the Old Testament, uh, people, man, I'm glad I was born in the New Testament. Look, America and the New Testament, come on now. Because in the Old Testament, my goodness, you had, there were so many things you had to do. I mean, if you read your Bible, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you had to dress a certain way, had to have a certain hairstyle. You couldn't go here, couldn't go there, had to be here to stay here, go there. Man, move out your house once a, a year and live in a little, a little shack like it. Just, just strange things to the natural man. But then when you understand the Word of God, we understand that. But, but, that's what was happening. So Jesus comes on the scene, and within that time, there's this group of, of, of good, good people who were trying to do good but end up not doing so good called Pharisees, and, and they really took the law of God, and they said, it's good, but we got to add some stuff to this because people are just not getting it. And so they added, you know, like, like uh, you know, a gazillion different things that you had to do, which made living for, for God very, very difficult. I sometimes wonder why. Why in the world do people want to make it so hard to live for God? Why do you make it so hard to live for God? And, and so Jesus comes on the thing. It was sort of like this. It was like Jesus came, all right, radically changing things. I mean, fundamentally changing things. He, he comes on the scene. He launches this brand new covenant, this brand new movement, you know, and, and then he, he died, Come on now, that, that really helps the movement when the leader of the movement just dies, but then he was resurrected again, and which is really, really great, and when he was resurrected, he was resurrected to punctuate every claim that he had made about himself in the kingdom of God. And so he rises from the dead and everything's great, and then he really just unhitches his movement from the previous old movement. How many of you know that if you want to move into something new, you're going to have to unhitch from the old, especially when the old is not accomplishing what you want to accomplish? And that's exactly what Jesus did. He said, hey, you know what? This is good. Matter of fact, Paul taught us years and years later that the, the Old Testament was a schoolmaster. The law was a schoolmaster bringing us to Christ, showing us Christ and showing us our need for Christ. And so Jesus unhitches from all of that previous stuff. And then you know what he did? He really did the second best thing in the movement. He just left. I mean, can you imagine? You're brand new. I mean, we're just three years into this movement here and you die and you resurrect. Come on now, let's do something great. And then you just say, see you later, guys. And he left. And so the first century followers, here they are. They're left with a resurrection religion. A resurrection religion. You know, not, not too much to go on. I mean, they didn't have a lot to go on, you know, but, but this, they were very, very excited. You know why they were very, very excited? They were very, very excited because they saw Jesus die, and just a few days later, they had lunch with him. And there's something powerful about that. Come on now. That, that you know, it's like, wow, we don't know all the rules and the regulations. We, we, don't, we, we don't have it all figured out in our head, but we do know this one thing. You were dead, and now you are alive. 
That's enough to go on. I think that would fuel me for all of my life. How about you? And so they were left with, a, with all kinds. They were left with an assortment of teaching, like some parables. They were left with, you know, some miracles, some experiences. They were left with all these kind of things, some commands, kind of some, sometimes some different commands, like love God with everything you have and then love that old neighbor like yourself. And it's like, you got to do that, God? You mean we got we to gotta love people like ourselves? I mean, I love myself a lot, but I can't stand that guy next door to me. I mean, just... You know, and then you give it all these parables and we hardly understand it. Nobody understands it. And then, then when we get with you in a private time, you, you tell us and we still don't understand it. We don't know. It's kind of goofy and we don't know what's, what's going on. And, and uh, so for the next five weeks, we're going to share with you some of these commandments, some of these sayings, some of these end commandments, these things not to do. How many of you know God's got some things he doesn't want you to do? And, uh, and it may be a little bit surprising to you because we know what we don't, we know what God doesn't want us to do. You better not do this, you better not do it, but it's a little bit different than that. So we're gonna jump right into the first not commandment, the end commandment. And I want you to imagine with me for a moment right now, now come on, use your imagination, that you are a Gentile. Now a Gentile is a person who is not a Jew. There were the Jewish people and then everybody else in the world was a Gentile. I want you to imagine with me you're a Gentile and you don't know anything about the Old Testament. You don't know who Moses is. You never heard about David. You don't, want, you don't know anything about Israel, the law. You don't know about figs and, and, and cakes and raisins. And you don't know anything about all that. You, know, you don't know why they kill a bird and why they kill an a, a, you know, a duck, and it's just, it's just, you know, you don't know, you're just ignorant to all that stuff. But one thing you do know, you found out that Jesus died for your sins. Amen. I mean, you know this, you know, because you've been taught, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you know, He died for your sins. And so uh, they didn't even have the teachings of Paul, like in the New Testament, until about 30, maybe 50 years after this. They didn't have a Bible like you have, they didn't even have screens with the scriptures up on it. You know what I mean? And they're here, and so they're given some commandments. Here's the first end commandment. First end commandment is, thou shalt not fear. Did you know that that phrase and variations of it are found 365 times in the Word of God? Thou shalt not fear. It's like God saying, okay, let me make it simple. I'm gonna give you a thou shalt not fear for every day of your life. I'm gonna set the calendar at 365, not 366, except a leap year. On leap year, you can be afraid. On leap year. That one day, you can say, you get all your fears, you save them all up, and then you're very fearful that one day, every four years or whenever leap year is, but then you need to leap over that and do something else. So the first commandment is fear not. And Jesus is simply saying, fear not, don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. You know, I've met with a lot of people over the last many, many years, and, and I have found that my advice with people is boiling down to a couple of things, and one of them is, stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. You know what I mean? I'm being mean. Just stop it. Uh, my, you know, I, my money, stop it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look, let me tell you something. He said it, just stop it. Don't be afraid. Just don't be afraid. And so we're going to pick this thing up in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22. 
And this is what's happening now. Jesus is sending out his disciples two by two. And he said, basically, I have modeled this before you. I've taught you how to do things. Now I'm sending you out to do what I'm doing. I want to, it's a trial run. I want to see how you're going to do, guys. And so he, he starts off with just these, these wonderful, encouraging, ministerial nuggets. The kind that you'd want to put on your rearview mirror of your car or your refrigerator. And the first thing he says is, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Come on, Jesus. Can you give me something a little bit more? You're going to be hated by everybody because of me. And, and then, you know, you know what he says? He, he says, not only that, but when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. It's like, oh, man, this is great. Uh, you know, hate, persecution, and running away scared. Hate and persecution and fleeing. And then he says in verse 26, so don't be afraid of them. Now, wait, Jesus, you, you, they're going to hate me. They're going to persecute me. I got to run for my life, but you're telling me not to be afraid. Sound like somebody should be afraid right there. I mean, sometimes Jesus will teach things that to the natural person really, really doesn't make any sense. And you need to learn that early. And so, you, you know, Jesus says, okay, guys, I can just imagine Jesus, you know, saying, all right, they didn't get it. So, all right, let me give you a teaching on how not to be afraid. And so he begins, he says in the 29th verse, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Uh, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Hmm, that sounds good. That sounds good. And then he says, and even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. You know what a sparrow is? It's those little, those little brown birds. We used to call them tweets when we were growing up. Now we call them parking lot birds. I mean, they just these little, almost little old birds. You know, they eat French fries at Sonic all the time. You know, they're everywhere. You know, you know, you know so they're not worth much. I mean, really and truly, a little tweet. It's like, eh, I got bird feed. It's a little tweet fly. Eh, he's a little brown bird. Boring tweet. But God watches those little sparrows and he says he knows every time a sparrow falls to the ground. So don't be afraid. And here is where they begin to sort of connect things together about not being afraid. See, they weren't idiots, but they were a little hard to understand at times. So they start putting things together. So I want to back up to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 and pick up a story. Now, they have been in meetings, and people have been raised up, healed, powerful things have happened, and at the end of those meetings, in the 23rd verse, Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. So they, they, they preaching, they're healing people, they get in the boat, they, sh they ship out, you know, on the Sea of Galilee, they call it the lake, and, they, and they're there, and then, and then suddenly a furious storm came up, on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Now, this is not just some little, uh, little storm. I mean, this was like a hurricane. It was a furious storm, and by the way, they were in a rickety little boat, a bunch of guys. I mean, it wasn't like a, a, a leisure boat. It wasn't like a, you know, one of these uh, cruises. I mean, they all jammed in this little boat, and the water is coming in the boat. They don't have life jackets. They don't have a bilge pump. They don't have a GPS or a radio. They don't even have a cell phone in a waterproof case. They don't have any of this stuff, and they're there, 
and things are getting tough and things are getting rough and, and Jesus is asleep. Well, they, they, you know, Matthew says he was asleep. Now, he might have been asleep or maybe he was just laying there kind of acting like he was sleeping. Sort of how you do when your kids are in the living room and you're on the couch. <laughs> And you're not really sleeping, you got your eyes closed. They think you're sleeping, and so they do things that maybe they wouldn't normally do when you were watching them. But you're hearing every word they say. Maybe Jesus was like that, I don't know, but he's there, and the disciples went and woke him up. They woke Jesus up, and they said, Lord, save us. Don't you, don't you care about, it? we're drowning, we're going to drown, which wasn't uh, far from the truth. You're in a rickety little boat, you know, in a shallow sea, a shallow lake, sort of like Lake Pontchartrain. Many people have drowned in Lake Pontchartrain because it's so shallow and when storms come up, it gets really rough, really, really quick. And so Jesus wakes up. What they're saying, you know what they're really saying? They're saying, Jesus, you really don't care about us. Don't you care about us? Don't you see what's going on? And right here is where so many people leave the faith. People leave the faith because they don't feel like God knows where they're at. God, don't you know what I'm going through? Don't you see what I'm going through? And why don't you answer me when I talk to you? And even though he answers us, but it's never in the way we want him to answer us because we've got everything preconceived, our ideas are all formulated in how things ought to be. And so people leave the faith. You know, people leave the faith for some of the most ridiculous reasons. I don't understand the Bible, I'm out. I found a contradiction in the word of God, I'm out. Oh my, the preacher did this, he said that, they went there, that church folk, this, oh the service, oh the music, oh the, this too loud, oh it's too cold, oh it's, and it leave the faith and it's so ridiculous. There should be absolutely no reason for you to leave the faith ever. No reason, there's no reason to leave Jesus even when people fail you and do things that are weird and silly, why leave God because a person didn't act right or didn't act the way you thought was right? And so they're, they're, they're contemplating all this. Why you're asleep? Why don't you know what's going on? And so Jesus replied and he said, oh, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Isn't it amazing how he equates no faith to fear? He equates lack of faith to fear. See, we will be filled with something. Either we're filled with faith or we'll, we're, we're, feared, we're filled with fear. Either. What, do you, what do you feel with today? Are you filled with faith? Or is fear dominating your day? Jesus said, man, you got a little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. I mean, just instantly. You know what? A miracle is instant. It wasn't just calming down and the clouds moving off and the rain subsiding a little bit. Instantly, everything was calm in a moment of time. And look what happened to the disciples. The men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of guy is this? Well, you know, you know what kind of man he was? He's Superman. He's Superman. And, 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 and it says, they were amazed. In another translation, it says, they feared exceedingly. So here they are afraid, and now they're fearing exceedingly. So which is it? Is it right or is it wrong? Well, well you know, here's the lesson. That you, here's a point. You got it? Get this one. Revelation of proper fear replaces unhealthy fear. 
And by the way, folks, and this may sound a little, a little deep, uh, maybe words you don't use, but you've got to get revelation of who God is and what his word says and who you are in Christ. And it doesn't come into your head. It comes into your heart. Revelation is a thing of the heart, not the head. Information in the head, revelation in the heart, inspiration in the being. Understand that? Information is good, but an inspiration is great. But I have to have revelation, and it has to be personal revelation. So let me back up a little bit. You got the point, revelation of proper, revelation of proper fear replaces unhealthy fear. So let's back up a little bit more, back to Matthew chapter 10. You remember when he sent them out and he said, they're going to hate you, they're going to persecute you, flee to another city, get out of there, run for your lives. 28th verse He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid. Now, wait, wait a minute. Don't be afraid, but be afraid. Don't fear, but fear. Which is it? He says, don't be afraid of those who are able to kill the body, cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Both soul and body. Say, who, do, who am I supposed to be afraid of? Supposed to be afraid of the devil? No. Supposed to be afraid of that guy? No, 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 no. No, you see, don't fear the disease. Don't fear the economy. Don't fear the government. Don't fear the enemies. Don't fear the future. Don't fear rejection. Don't fear people, that person, that place, that thing. Don't fear those things. Even though they're able to kill the body, they cannot kill the soul and put a person in hell. You have to fear the one who has the power to do all of this. True healthy fear replaces unhealthy fear. You need to fear the one who holds your destiny. You understand? Hey, this, is, this thing is so much deeper than the Sunday morning service, folks. This thing is for real and it's eternal. And once the judgment is set, we're done. Once Jesus puts the gavel down and time ends as we know it, it's done. So this is so very important that we fear the one who controls our destiny. Now, a couple of chapters later, we're going to fast forward. Now, we're just moving in this ministry time of Jesus a, a, a little bit further. Uh, and, and, uh, and we look at what, uh, what Jesus has, has done. You know, we, you know we, we, we understand. That's why we need to look forward. And, and sometimes we need to look back. We need to look forward in future and faith. We need to look back and say, Jesus, look what you did in the past for me five years ago, eight years ago, 32 years ago, last week. You did this. You're the same. You don't change. I can trust you to do it again, but in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, this is where they are. You ready? They've done another great meeting. I mean, they fed 5,000 people with a couple of little fish and some bread. I mean, miracles. You can imagine you're walking with the king here. The king is here. He has done a great miracle, and you're on his team. I mean, you're in his entourage. You're right there. I mean, you're walking with the king. It's like, yeah, we did it. Yeah, you saw me hold that basket up? Did you see, man, like I had fragments in my basket, dude. It's like, man, you know, and every time I'd break the bread, more bread, cool. You know, and then Jesus says this. He says, okay, guys, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now, I think it's very important that we understand that he made them get in the boat. Why did he have to make them get into the boat? I mean, man, they had their baskets. I mean, fishing has been a great time, you know, a great fish. But now get in the boat. It's like, wait, whoa, whoa, Jesus, get in the boat. Who say anything about a boat? I mean, I like it here where the miracles are. He says, get in the boat. I can just see old Peter just kind of, oh, okay, Jesus. 
climbs up, up in the boat. They're all in the boat. Can't you just see them all sitting facing Jesus? And Jesus, I want you to stick about it with me. He's, he's on, at the edge of the boat there, right at the very nose. What do you call that? The bow, the stern. I don't know. I'm not in the Navy. I have no clue. The front of the boat. <laughs> and he walks out knee deep, hip deep. He's at his waist and he just shoves the boat out and says, see you later. <laughs> it's exactly what he did. And then he went away after you see, now, now, after he dismissed the crowd, you know, he went, well, watch this. Here, here's the situation. We are in the same situation as we were. They remembered the last time they got in a boat with him. He's sleeping. He doesn't care. Big storm. They're, they're remembering that. Isn't it amazing that we always remember the negative instead of the positive? I thought they would say, right, oh, Jesus, get up in the boat. Let's go. No, they're remembering the storm. We almost drowned. And Jesus pushes them out. Same situation, but this time Jesus is not in the boat. And it's very important. 23rd verse, after he had dismissed them, the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. It wasn't a storm necessarily. It's just circumstances were not going their way. The wind was not blowing the way it should blow to get them to the other side. So they're, you can just see, working with the, with the, with the, with the, what is that? The, the sails and, and they're rowing and, huh? You got a, you got Thomas in the back saying, I didn't think we could make it. I doubt if we ever going to make it again. Here we are again. You're okay. Bartholomew, where are you, Duke? Pull it up. Pull, Bartholomew, Thaddeus. Thaddeus was crying. He was crying in the back of the boat because he remembered last time. He was so scared. And Jesus, in the 25th verse, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out with fear. They cried out in fear. Failed again. Failed again. Afraid again. 27th verse, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, stop it. Don't be afraid, guys. How long am I gonna have to work with you? You always scared. We can never accomplish what we need to accomplish because you're so scared. The lesson is this. One day Jesus won't be with you, but he'll be watching you. That was the lesson here. He wasn't with them in the boat, but he was watching them. And ultimately, he came to them. So if you're in your boat all by yourself this morning, you got to understand that Jesus might not be in the boat right now. You might not be able to see him. You might say where he is, but he's watching you. It's so important. You don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. That's the, that's the lesson here. You don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. As a matter of fact, I want to say this out loud. Now, there's power in declaration. You understand what I'm saying? There's power when you say things. There's power in words, life and death. And these are words of life. So we're going to say it together. I want you to put that up on the board for me. We're going to say this together. You ready? Put it back up, guys. Ready? On three. One, two, three. You don't have to be afraid even when there is something to be afraid of. One more time. You don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. There it is. It's a lesson we have to learn today by revelation. There are going to be things that 
make you want to fear in life. It's coming. It's already came. It may come again. We've got to understand this. We've got to walk in this. But they didn't learn the lesson. These guys, they were slow learners. Man, they had to get put back in. They, you know, they wanted to be promoted, but God said, no, repeat this again. And they failed again. They failed at the arrest of Jesus in the garden. They failed at the, at the, at the, the, uh, the trials. They failed at the crucifixion. They failed even at the, the, the burial and the resurrection. They failed. They, the, after Jesus, he's going to be resurrected. Where did Jesus find them after he was resurrected? All locked up in a house for what? Fear of the Jews. Fear of the Jews. They all ran away. But later, they became fearless. And they became fearless because they saw the resurrection. They saw death defeated, and they saw the power of Christ's resurrection. Folks, listen to me. If we do not have revelation of the resurrection, we live like people who don't know God. Here's the lesson. Once you get it, once you no longer fear the one who can only kill the body, once you overcome the fear of death, there's victory. Hebrews 2.15, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Fear of death keeps people from living. Fear keeps us from living the abundant life. It is the way it is. It's no different. It was no different even with the early believers. The early Christians really got this. Their fear of death evaporated. You know, late in the second uh, century, there was uh, Marcus Aurelius. He was the emperor of Rome, and he hated Christians, I mean, strongly. You can just read about him in history. I mean, he just made sport of them, and he just killed them and persecuted them for their faith. Uh, one writer says it this way. The cruelties used in this persecution were such that many of the spectators shuddered with horror at the sight and were astonished at the intrepidity or the fearlessness of the sufferers. They, they just were scores. They, they, they had to walk over thorns, nails, sharp shells uh, upon their, their points. Others were scores until their sinew and veins uh, lay bare. And after suffering the most excruciating torturing that could be devised, they were destroyed by the most terrible death. Germanicus, a young man but a true Christian, a true believer, being delivered to the wild beast on account of his faith, behaved with such astonishing courage that several Pagans became converts to a faith which inspired such fortitude. Claudius Gonalius, he was a doctor. And in those days in Rome, you could not examine dead bodies. Doctors could not do autopsies. They could not touch dead bodies. The law was you had to bury a cremate instantly. And so he, he did the next best thing. He asked if he could examine dying bodies. And so the physicians would examine dying bodies and where they found the most dying bodies were in the arenas where Christians were being killed. And this is what he writes. For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. Every day. You see, everyone who fears death, 
Everybody fears death except those who have a revelation of the resurrection of Christ. If you're sitting in this room right now and you do not have a revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the hope of glory to come, then you are living in fear of death and you don't want to. Now, I don't want to die. I'm not talking about wanting to die. I'm talking about you fear death because you don't have assurance of what happens after we die. So Jesus just says to us, fear not. And now, how can he say that? Jesus, how can you say fear not? How can you? You have the audacity to just tell me to stop it. How does Jesus know that? You know how Jesus knows that? Because he's traveled the entire road that each one of us is traveling. He was born, he lived, he died, and he was resurrected. And he's alive today looking at you right in that chair, right where you are. He's looking right at you. You're looking at other people, but Jesus is staring you right in the face, looking at you, and he's telling you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We don't want to fear even when there's something to be afraid of. Now, here is the part where you get involved. What is it that you are fearing? Do you fear being alone? Do you fear divorce? Do you fear financial ruin? Do you fear losing your job or losing your child? Do you have a fear of heights? Do you fear other people? Do you fear moving forward? What is it? There are so many phobias today. There's so many things to be afraid. Our world is being strangled by fear. There are people today who will not go into a shopping mall because there's been a mass shooting in a shopping mall. There's people who don't want to go to a hospital because they see suffering people. There are people that, you know, fear is driving so many people today. But yet Jesus, the revolutionist, the one who radically and fundamentally changes everything when he enters a life, simply says, stop fearing. And that's our goal today. That's right. In this simple gathering of believers, our goal is to stop fearing right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? So right now, I just want you to picture. You can just close your eyes. I want you to just imagine that thing that you have feared the most that has plagued your life. Come on, you got to, this, this is your opportunity to be set free. That thing, and when I said that thing, that thing that stood up right in front of you, that's the thing, that's it. That's the thing that's plaguing your life. And that thing that you're looking at is going to be dispelled because you're going to start putting your trust in the only one who is able to keep you, and his name is Jesus Christ. You got that fear right in front of you, right there? We're going to pray over it, and we're just going to pray the words of Jesus right over that thing. You have power in your tongue, your words. So in the name of Jesus, we speak to that spirit of fear 
That thing that has held me captive, that thing that has kept me from being everything that God you want me to be, I bind it up in the name, go ahead, right now, you need to take authority over that thing in the name of Jesus, come on, you can do it, speak to that thing, say, leave me alone in the name of Jesus, leave me alone, I will no longer be held captive by you. I will no longer see my potential robbed because you have seek to keep me. I will not fear being alone for my God is with me. I will not fear losing in the name of Jesus. I will not fear trouble because Father, you have told me that you are with me in the trouble. I thank you that you calm the storms, Father, in our life right now in the name of Jesus. I refuse to fear the future because you have always been faithful in the past. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for that. Now, while you're just alone with God right now and you've got your eyes closed so that you can just kind of put away all distractions, I think there's some of you in this room right now that you fear death because you don't know what's on the other side because you've never had a revelation of the resurrection of Christ. And that only comes as you surrender your heart to him. Some of you in this room, you've left the faith. Some have never joined the faith. Some of you are like me when I was 28 years of age, never knew God a day of my life. But then I met him and everything changed. There's some of you in this room right now, you need to connect to Jesus right now. The apostle Paul writes in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, he says, I have brought one message to the Jew and the Gentile. That's us, the Gentile. And that is that we should repent of our sin, we should trust God, and we should put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your trail to God, to salvation, to being a new person. That you repent of your sin. There's no other way, folks. If you want revelation of the resurrection and assurance of the life to come, you have to repent of your sin you have to turn to God away from everything that's kept you from God. And you have to put your faith alone in Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're ready to do that, I'm getting ready to pray a prayer. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up, come forward, raise a hand or do anything. I'm gonna ask you to open your heart to the only one who holds your destiny in his hand, the great King and God of our life. I'm gonna pray, and if you want that, if that's what you want, repent, turn to God, and put faith in Christ, just agree with me in prayer, your heart is open. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you forgive all sin, God, no matter how deep and dark it has been. That, Lord God, you heal all broken hearts. And Father, you truly set us on a path of righteousness, and you make us a new person. God, I'm asking you to make me a new person. I'm asking you, Lord God, as I repent of my sin, that God, you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord, I choose today to follow you completely, surrendering everything that I have and I am. And I thank you right now, in the name of Jesus, amen and amen and amen. Come on, I just believe that the Lord is touching people.
If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.